Just a recap of what we've talked about over the past two podcasts. First, we talked about sin and what that looked like when it entered into the earth that we live in right here. We talked about Adam and Eve. And then the next podcast, we talked about Noah and the Great Flood, and we talked about all that that had to deal with. Today, we are going to be discussing Father Abraham. He had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We're going to talk about Abraham today. He is the father of the Abrahamic religions. What religions are those? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That is absolutely correct. And Father Abraham is the one who spoke with God. He was righteous in God's eyes and we are going to look today at specifically his covenants and what those look like as they pertain to us, as they pertain to nullifying sin, and as they pertain to pointing to Jesus Christ and the future home that we have with him in heaven for all eternity. We have a few passages of scripture we're going to go through real quick, but our main passage of scripture today is going to actually not be found in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not received, not having received the things promised, but having seen him, them that greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus made it, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Excellent. The question is, there are people on the earth. This is a couple hundred years after Noah. Abraham is chosen by God because he sees him as righteous. Why is it that God can choose Abraham? Is that really, you know, a lot of people like to talk about what's fair and unfair these days in the 21st century. Was it really fair for God to choose Abraham when there were all these other people on earth? Why was it Abraham he chose? Because he had many sons. Well, he didn't yet. In fact, he was barren. Yeah. He and his wife were not able to produce any offspring. In fact, when Abraham, we're going to read about in just a little bit, was 99 years old, he still hadn't had an heir, and he was worried asking God, is it going to be my servant that's going to end up being my son? Because I still haven't had any children. Why would God choose an old man to be the person 
through whom salvation would come. Why, why Abraham? Because he was the most faithful, most willing to go with what God asked him to do. Yeah, sure. Any other reasons? His lineage fell in line with Christ? Sure. I don't really know a good answer for this. I think theologians have debated this for centuries. And the reality is, is what does it really matter why God chose Abraham? It's who God chose to choose because he is God. And so often we want to make things so complex and somehow get our hands wrapped around what God is doing to make ourselves greater than he is, which is going back to that original sin, that pride thing, where we want to be better than God. And even in a situation like this, it's like there were other people on the earth. Why in the world did God choose Abraham? That's not really fair to the rest of the world. Well, there were a few things that God said to Abraham whenever he was having a conversation with them. First of all, he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, but it's going to be built by me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. But the reason your name, Abraham, is going to be great is so that that way you will be a blessing to all of the nations. Your offspring will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And what we find out later, even through John the Baptist in the New Testament, is that the people that John the Baptist had coming to him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was like, what are you doing here, you brood of vipers? Don't tell me you're here because you're sons of Abraham, because God can even raise up sons of Abraham out of these stones. So the reality is that even we find out later on and before this, that God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you numerous offspring. And some of those offspring aren't even going to be directly in your own lineage. Instead, they're going to be people of other nations, of other cultures, of other backgrounds, of other skin colors, of all these different things. And they still will look at you and you will be their father. The story of Abraham picks up for us in Genesis chapter 12. As we conclude Genesis 11, we see that Abraham's father is going, he's like wandering in the wilderness. He stops, his older brother dies. And then God appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And that's what we have for our next reading, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 7. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and for thy kindred, and from thy father's house, mm -hmm. unto a land that I will show thee and i will make of thee a great nation and i will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and i will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Excellent. And then verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Wonderful. So what we have here is we have the introduction of Abraham. At the time, his name is Abram. 
and Abraham is seeing the land of Canaan and God is saying, this is the land that I'm going to give your offspring, the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel, uh, but also Israel for hundreds of thousands of years as well. He says, this is the land I'm going to give you. But yet Abraham does not just stop there, set up camp, and then all of a sudden start building a city. Because remember, he is looking forward to the land that the foundation, the designer, the builder, the maker is God himself. And so he sees this vast land and God says, this is going to be for you and for your offspring. And then Abraham keeps on going uh, throughout the land and he is walking around, wandering around and a famine happens. And in that famine, he then goes to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, of course, we if we look at a map, we know that is Egypt the same uh, place as Israel? No. no, no, it's a totally different continent, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So he goes to another continent. He goes to Africa. He goes to Egypt. And there Pharaoh falls in love with his wife, Sarah. Abraham gives a partial truth, which is still a lie, and says, but Sarah is just my sister because he doesn't want Pharaoh to kill him and all of his people. And so he lies. And as a result, Pharaoh goes and tries to take Sarah and make him one of his harem. And in that, God starts to strike Pharaoh in ways that are very harmful to him. He comes back to Abram and says, hey, God came to me and said that Sarah is your wife. Why in the world did you lie to me? And he goes, well, she technically is my sister and blah, 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 blah. Pharaoh sends him back out. And so there we have Abraham going back towards the land of Canaan. And God prepares to make another covenant with Abraham, which we find in Genesis chapter 15. We are going to read these verses of 15, Genesis 15, 2 through 10, and 17 and 18. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him to all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. All right, so what we have here in this verse, this passage of scripture, we see that Abraham is getting older. He recognizes he doesn't have any offspring. Sarah hasn't yet had any children. And he's thinking that his servant is going to end up becoming his heir. And so he even comes to God and says, if this is what the way it's supposed to be, so be it. And God's like, no. I promised you, your offspring will be your offspring. And this is a huge thing 
not just in the Old Testament days, not just five, 6,000 years ago, but it's still a huge thing today. That's why just a couple of uh, uh, kilometers away from us in the downtown part of Mahali, we have a place that will help do in vitro fertilization. It's because people get married in a part of life, not just in Asia, not just in Africa, not just in Europe or in the West, in North America or South America. Having children, having heirs is a huge part of our legacy. And Abraham is looking at his legacy and he's saying, okay, I have all these servants. I have all these flocks. I've become a very rich guy. I have a great wife and I have no heir. I have no legacy. And I've had this promise from God that I'm going to have a legacy that I'm, he's given me a covenant, a verbal covenant. He showed me a land and then now God takes it a step further and God formalizes his promise to Abraham in this covenant of what we see in the Eastern world. And I found this in the Dictionary of Biblical Prophecy. I've heard many other people talk about this passage of scripture before, including Pastor Tim Keller, including a couple of other pastors. Uh, I'm just calling out his name because I heard it the most recently. But this new, this covenant that God is making is one that we would see in the East. And there were numerous ceremonies that could be used to ratify or solemnize a covenant. And one of the most serious ceremonies involved cutting animals in half and then separating the two halves on the ground. Then the two parties that were going to make the covenant would walk through together between the two halves. And the vow that was applied and implied was that if one of the people breaks this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So there, this is where Abraham and God are going to walk together through, the, uh, through these animals that have been sacrificed and separated. And as they walk through them, if one of them breaks the covenant, then that person would be divided in half as these, um, these wildlife animals were. And... Yet we don't see that happen. We don't see Abraham wake up or stand up or even walk through this sacrifice, this covenant that's been made. Instead, what do we see happen? God walked through it all by himself. We see God walk through it in a torch and in a smoking pot, basically, is the way that the translation has come across. And God is telling Abraham that he is making this covenant with all mankind. And he himself is putting his self on the line saying that's how much he believes in Abraham. So when we ask one of those silly questions like why would God choose Abraham amongst all the other people? Why in the world would God say, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, but yet I'm not even gonna allow you to walk through the covenant. I'm going to take all of the curses and the blessings of the covenant and put them on myself. Because what is happening here is God is pointing unto the day that he will sacrifice his son on a cross. He will allow his son to be sacrificed on a cross for the sins of all of the world whom are Abraham's offspring. Anybody that calls on the name of Jesus becomes basically an heir of Christ. And that happened because of the blessings that God gave to Abraham and has then poured out upon this earth. As he said, he will make Abraham's name great so that he will be a blessing unto all of the nations. Just to reiterate, according to the Dictionary of Biblical Prophecy, 
Unlike the normal human covenant ceremonies, in this one, God passes through the cut animals by himself, implying that he is instituting a one-sided or unilateral covenant that binds only one party, who is himself, to the covenant that he's making with Abraham. Again, pointing to the powerful testimony of what is going to happen on the cross. Now, what we have is we have Abraham then continuing on in his life. And in the midst of that life, we have another covenant that God wants to bring to him. And that covenant is found in Genesis chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and 10 and 11. When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So what we had happen in between Genesis 15 and 17 is we have Hagar and Sarah have a conversation where Sarah says, it's okay for my servant Hagar to sleep with Abraham so that that way they can be a descendant. And there is a descendant named Ishmael that is then born through Hagar, who then becomes Abraham's son. And now Abraham later on has this conversation with God where he says, is Ishmael the one or am I actually going to have a son with my wife, Sarah? And God says, you will bear a child with Sarah. However, at this point, when God is making this covenant, this is after the, the situation between Hagar and Sarah. And Ishmael is born. God immediately has a covenant with Abraham. And he talks about the fact that in this covenant, he wants to be a representative to all of mankind through this change that is going to happen in the created being of a male person that is a, a child of Abraham. And that is to have the foreskin of their, um, of their penis circumcised, and that will be a representation unto all mankind that this person is a child of Abraham. Now, what we've seen so far is we've seen a verbal covenant between Abraham and God. We've seen God take a unilateral covenant between Abraham and himself. And then we see this covenant where God is saying, okay, now there's going to be a mark that is placed on you, Abraham, and it is going to be the removal of your foreskin. We also saw that Abraham's name gets changed from Abram to Abraham in this moment. So God is constantly doing things where he is taking Abraham, as we've read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16, and he is pointing himself out unto all mankind. He is pointing out the fact that he needs redemption, that mankind needs redemption. He's pointing to the fact that this land is not going to be our land, but we are all, as children of Abraham, exiles in this land. We are aliens in this land, and I'm not talking about the kind of spaceship aliens. I'm just saying we're aliens in this land because this is not our home. Our place is in heaven with God. He's also removing the idolatry from the land through Abraham himself, saying polytheism is not the way 
of what he has created, but that is actually a secondary way. And then the world is going to be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. It's an absolute amazing scenario that we have here. And so I want to ask you guys a few questions. And that is, when I say we're exiles on this earth, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be an alien on this earth? Like, Technically, right now, we are resident aliens in India because my passport is from the United States. I live in India. I am an alien here. I do not have the right to vote, which happened just a couple of months uh, last month. I do not have the right to uh, lots of different things, but I still have to obey the laws of the land. I'm an alien here in India with the description that I gave of how we're aliens in India, even though we are United States citizens. What does it look like being an alien? an exile living on this earth when we are really children of God. Christ says it, and I mean, it says it all throughout the Bible, actually, but it says whenever we accept Christianity that we are no longer of the world, but we're separated from the world, and therefore we are God's children. And in that, that makes us aliens. Even though we are still human, we are separated through Christ from the rest of the world. Okay, brilliant. Does this mean that we do not need to take care of the earth? No. I mean, do I mean, we still have a responsibility to care for the planet that we are just exiles in? Yeah. I mean, we were commanded through whenever Jesus, I mean, God commanded Adam to take care of the earth and, I mean, Eve also to take care of the earth. Mm -hmm. So all of us here on the earth are to take care of it and make sure it stays, I mean, prosperous. Sure. And that we were able to live on it. Uh, we have come from the United States. We live in India. We're aliens in this land in that regard. Do we just totally care less about what's going on in India? Do we just like throw our trash on the ground and just, you know, ram into people and run people over and treat people poorly? And no. It is our duty to know the rules of the land and to be obedient to those that are in authority over the land that we live in. Mm -hmm. So honoring our kings and prime minister and presidents and those that are in leadership positions or to honor them by being obedient to the rules of the land. Yeah, absolutely. Do we do things to help take care of India? Yeah. Practically speaking? Hopefully. Since this land is not our own, does this mean that we treat others as insignificant? No. no. People who are different than us, they're less. Do we treat them as less than? No. Absolutely not. And if Abraham has offspring that could be raised up from stone, does that mean that as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a child of Abraham, son or daughter of Abraham, does that mean that we're going to have people that look the exact same of a, same as we do or different? Oh. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? Yeah. Because what we have is we have a lot of racism that seems to go on in this world where they, I was reading this book called the, um, the Night Watchman. And it was the goal of the Mormon church in the 1950s to ex completely eradicate the Native Americans from the land because their skin color was too dark. And the Mormon people believed that the only way to earn salvation is if your skin was whiter. 
And so they actually believed, this is just 70 years ago, they actually believed that when somebody that was Native American and brown-skinned, if they became a Christian, that they would then, their skin would start to get whiter as a miracle so that that way they would look more like the Mormon people. Does that sound like something that Christ preached? Or does that sound like something that's just absolutely ridiculous? Some of my greatest friends in life have been different skin color than I am. One of my best friends, several of my best friends today are a different skin color, hair color, and eye color than I am. And that's good because we are all believers in Christ. We're all children of Abraham. We are all sons of God as a result. That is the beauty of how God works in our lives. And that's the importance of what Christ did. That's the importance of what God did through Father Abraham in order to lead us to the point where we are in the 21st century. See, we're looking at things in the way of sin entered the world, the flood happened, and then now we have Abraham being chosen by God. So we saw, we saw these things happen so far in the first couple of books, uh, first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, and they lead to a very important part of where we're at today. Was Abraham called by God? Yes. Yes. Is there a similarity between Abraham and I in this calling? Yes. Yes. And what is that? When we ask Christ into our heart, it is a covenant between us and him to live our lives that are purely reflective of him. Yes. And to strive and to do our best to follow after him and all we say and all we do and how we treat others and Christ is our example here on this earth and to be to be like him. Absolutely. To love to love all mankind. Yeah. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been called by Christ to give your heart, submit your heart and have that covenant take place in the New Testament, it says that he will circumcise us again. So as men in the old covenant to be a part of Abraham's descendants, we were to have our foreskin removed in the new covenant. What is it that the circumcision takes place on there? It's a circumcision of the heart. heart. Yeah. A circumcision of the heart. This then pertains to, this shows us that God is not misogynistic in some capacity where it's like, well, only men can be Abraham's descendants. No, Jesus came along and says, look, the circumcision isn't just a circumcision of the flesh, but I will do a circumcision of the heart. So does that pertain to you, Mallory, because you're a female? Can you have your heart circumcised whenever you come into relationship with Christ? Yes. What about you, Blair? Yes. Well, I, I didn't know at first when I was little when I asked Christ <laughs> into my heart. I was eight when I asked This Christ has to be an heart. incredibly great story. I can't wait to hear it. Oh, I remember reading in the Bible that God had asked for those to be circumcised before him. And so I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I need to be circumcised. And she goes, you, you don't have the right body part. And I was like, I don't have the right body part. And I was like, but I want to follow Christ wholeheartedly. I need to be circumcised. And my brothers were like, what are you saying? You can't be (laughs) circumcised. And I was so confused. And I, 
And I remember praying and crying and asking, God, forgive me. I can't be circumcised because somehow I don't have the right body part. And my mom's like, Blair, it's your heart. It's the matter of the heart that you give Christ. That is what you give to the Lord. And I was like, oh. So it's a condition of our heart. But yet this is the way that God works is he leads us by examples from history where he's talking to Abraham. He's talking about a circumcision that's going to take place physically. And then he takes it along. And he talks about the fact under Christ that we are going to be circumcised of the heart. Correct? Yes. Isn't that beautiful? How he constantly is leading us towards him in a way that is not necessarily a way that uh, forces us and backs us into a corner. But instead, he is giving us still that free will to make decisions. So Abraham was called by God. I'm called by God. Abraham had a covenant with God. I, through Christ, have a covenant with God where my heart is then circumcised. Abraham's covenant was totally dependent upon God. What about me? Where is my dependence when I believe on Christ? Is my dependence on my good works? Is it dependent on the good things that I do within my family? Is it where is where is it that I place all of my trust and dependence? Is it different than Abraham, or do I still have to place all my trust and dependence on God? You place all your trust and dependence on God in, in all aspects of life as a single young man, as a man in, in waiting for maybe a future spouse, and when you do become married and then you have children and, and or responsibilities of job and work, you place all of that, all of that into God's hands. Yeah, exactly. And do we earn a good reward by our good works? Or are our works a result of the reward that we already earned through Christ Jesus? The second one. Yeah, the second one. Yeah, definitely the second one. Um, and not to go too far back, but I just want to talk about the circumcise of the heart thing. This wasn't a New Testament thing i want to also point out that our hearts were circumcised or or to be circumcised in the old testament itself in deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 15 and 16 yet the lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them you above all peoples as you are this day circumcised therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn God was even then pointing to the fact that Christ was going to make a new covenant, a covenant of the heart in the Old Testament. So God has never been misogynistic. I know there's a lot of people that like to say that Christianity or the Bible is very man-dominated, but the reality is, is there's been nobody that has been as pro-woman and man together as the creator of heaven and earth. There's no new fad no new society, no new, no, none of that stuff is going to be greater than the love that God has for both male and female people, his creation as the Lord our God. And verse 17 says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Abraham Finally, I would just want to talk about this. Abraham was looking to a city whose designer, founder, and maker is God. 
is what we look outside and see all that we have to inherit or is there something greater being done is there really a heaven that we're going to go to is jesus really preparing a place for us i believe he's preparing a place for us because he says so in his word and what is heaven going to look like a wonderful place a beautiful place beautiful. filled with glory and grace i'm going to see my savior's face i want to go there because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. There are descriptions of it in Revelation. Sure. Where like the streets will be of gold and the uh, gate to heaven will be a giant pearl. One pearl. Yeah. And other stuff like that. There are descriptions of it. But still, we don't really know what it looks like. Right. Right. There is one who does know what it looks like. Sure. And his name is Jesus. He's gone ahead of us, and he's right here with us today. In uh, John chapter 14, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus says that he is preparing a place for us. This has been an absolute joy in the hearts of people throughout all generations, especially those of us who suffer, those of us who go through sickness, those who, of us who go through isolation or a pandemic or a global worldwide pandemic, that there is more that is in the future in store for us. Greater things are still coming. And we're not talking about things on this earth. We're not talking about a utopia on this earth. We're talking about a future that is in heaven right there with Jesus. In fact, it's amazing. Jesus told a parable of a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And when Lazarus died because he was a poor guy, there's a few things that I find very important. First of all, Lazarus has a name. The rich man didn't. Another thing I find important is, is that Lazarus trusted in God. And when he died, he went to heaven. And heaven is described as Abraham's bosom. Remember, we're talking about Abraham today. And heaven was in Abraham's bosom. We're talking about the fact that Lazarus went there to be with Jesus and Abraham still named as a part of paradise for us. This earth is beautiful. I've seen some gorgeous mountains. I've seen some beautiful beaches. I've seen some amazing plains. I've seen wildlife that, man, it just is so amazing how God creates some amazing things out there, the hippopotamus. And their jaws just, I mean, I've been right up on top of a hippopotamus. You guys remember that? Being right up on top of a hippopotamus before and dropping watermelon in its mouth. And it's like, be careful, don't get your hand too close because that thing will take your hand off. I mean, the power that those things have. A couple of weeks ago, we ran across an elephant and man, the maj majesty of that elephant as it was crossing the road as Xavier and I were cycling down the road. And it's there's a mixture of, terror there with it as well like is this thing going to charge me is this thing going to try and take me out what's it going to do with its tusks i mean we were pretty close to this elephant yet we were far enough away that we could just 
be in awe of watching this elephant. I mean, God has created some amazing things that are right here on this earth. And if he's done that, can you imagine what he's preparing for us in the future? There's an old singer from the 1980s. He died in, I think it was 1982. His name is Keith Green. And he said it this way, if God built this earth in seven days, or if he built this earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested, and yet Jesus came to this earth and then has gone to heaven and has been preparing heaven for us for over 2,000 years, we're living in a garbage can compared to what's going on up there. I love that quote because it helps draw us away from all of this immediate thing, and it gives us a future to look forward to. It gives us that hope that is secured in one person and one person alone, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We're going to continue our discussion of Abraham because he's got a lot more to talk about in the days, at least in our next podcast. And it's going to be pretty exciting to see how he lives out his faith and his righteousness on this earth as an example to us. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will enjoy our life here on this earth and that a lot of us get into heaven and do not sin anymore. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you have any questions or discussion that you'd like to talk with us about, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we are also on Pinterest. Bye, bye, bye.